Progressive Rugby League. Hey, hey, John O'Duncan here, back for another trip through the Progressive Rugby League tulips. As I said last episode, we'll be putting content out semi-randomly if and when we have something to contribute. And thank you for the enthusiastic reaction to last episode's chat with Rodolf Pires. It sounds like he's got a few fans in Australia, and rightly so. He does exude a certain warmth that I'm glad many of you felt too. A bit more on that later, but for this episode, I thought we'd stay in France. Now, we're not ones to play favourites here on the Progressive Rugby League podcast, but when it comes to our flamboyant, freewheeling friends at Toulouse Olympique, we tend to make a sneaky exception. We've heard and read a lot about what the ramifications of the coronavirus crisis might be for UK-based clubs, including the Toronto Wolfpack. But what about our French friends who, until a few weeks ago, were aiming squarely at promotion to Super League in 2021? All of a sudden, the competition was suspended, and while the NRL might be back up and running in May, there's not yet any realistic sign of a return in the Northern Hemisphere. Meanwhile, among all the chatter on how the season might look if and when it gets going again, there's plenty of talk of cancelling promotion and relegation this year, and that's without even getting into the complications around international travel in the short term while the virus remains a threat. There are a lot of questions as to what this might all mean for the boys in blue. And to help us get closer to some of the answers, who better to talk to than the CEO of the great Toulouse Olympic Club, Cedric Garcia. Cedric, welcome to the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Hi, John. Nice to speak to you. Thanks for joining us. Now, Cedric, before we talk rugby league, we know France is being hit hard by the virus. How are you traveling personally and what's the vibe like around Toulouse at the moment? Well, yes, I think right now about half of the world is in lockdown. So mm. I think it's very tough times for everybody. And even if sporty is our life, I mean, the concern we have around promotion, about all the things you spoke, I think come in second line and mm. just need to focus on uh, fighting this terrible crisis. Yeah. And for that, I think we need to stay positive. We are quite in a good position right now. Uh, families, friends are all right. Uh, mm-hmm. Southwest of France and Toulouse are, are quite okay. Okay. It's more the Paris area and, and northeast, which are really been uh, hit really strong. Mm-hmm. So we're not too bad, and I think once again we we can enjoy family time and just concentrate and stay positive because there's there's a lot worse going on right now in the world. Yeah, very true. Now, before we talk about the current crisis and how it relates to rugby league, let's talk about how Toulouse were looking before the season was suspended. You'd moved into your fabulous new stadium, Stade Ernest Vallon, a couple of nice crowds and undefeated on top of the table. It all looked pretty good from the outside. How did it look from the CEO's office? Especially when, when you tell it like this, it can only look good. No, but to be fair, last year we started with two defeats. So this season to start the comp as we wanted it, like five wins in five games. And moving in this fantastic stadium, it's, it's a fantastic facility. And it's going really, really well with, with the Stade Toulouse European team. And so, yeah, I mean, everything was going very well. And uh, it's true, it's a bit frustrating that the season is on hold for now. But we're still confident that it will resume and that we can continue to do our job and to reach our our main goal. Mm. Now, last time I saw you, Big Al and I were, were sitting in your office in Toulouse and we were talking optimistically about the chances of Toulouse Olympic gaining promotion into Super League over the next couple of years. We're talking about the project. 
And so you, you kind of alluded to it there, but how are you feeling about things at the moment? Obviously, as CEO, you try to plan for every situation, but no one could have imagined this. Oh, I know, that's for sure. Over the past, we, we had some difficult situations. There was the ash cloud linked to the volcano in Iceland mm. where we couldn't fly, so which were tough times, but nothing, nothing like this. And once again, I want to go back to the first part of your first question. I mean, yeah... It's difficult times, but it's tough for everybody and it's a lot tougher for some other people. So we can't really complain. Mm. Yeah, it raises, of course, some issues, but we just need to see how to tackle them the best we can. I mean, of course, on the sports side, there's no training, there's no games. Mm. But Adam, our head of performance, has done a tremendous job by building a million programs, <laughs> different programs. So, so that the boys, depending on, on the situation, on, on what they can do, so they can keep fit and of course keep this link i found all our employees or our players i try to give them information at least once a week and of course there's all the whatsapp groups so we try to keep the communication the internal communication really one of our main focus so everybody stay linked and stay positive and for the moment all the players are really are really staying positive and as i said just we cannot do anything about it so we just have to stay focused on what we can do how hard is the crisis hitting the club financially and, and what's the role of a CEO at, at a time like this? Well, it's, it's really hard because there's no revenue stream coming in. So in those periods, especially said that cash is king. So my job is basically to make sure that we stay in a strong position financially. I'm quite lucky that we have a strong club which rely not only on like one investor. So it's many different sponsors and people helping. And, and so I've been working really hard with my board in trying to find all the, the ways to keep us strong financially because mm-hmm. as you know there was two big expenses in those times there was uh, the travel expenses mm-hmm. as we we fund our travel but also the english team coming to to france so right. i had to cancel all those trips and the main thing was to try to avoid any cost and those cancellation and hopefully there won't be too much extra cost when we rebook mm. new new travels and the second thing of course is uh, the salaries i'm quite proud to say that today all our players and employees have been paid in full mm-hmm. there, there hasn't been any pay cuts for now which i think is is not the case in many clubs in rugby league but also in other sports i saw i read that we are madrid huge club there'll be a 20 or 30 percent pay cut so i think we're doing all right but it's true that financially we need to be really proactive and work on every potential solution that comes to us mm. either internally or with the government or with the rugby football league that's that's my main concern right now mm. Now, we understand rugby league clubs in the UK are able to access government assistance to help keep things afloat. Is that kind of assistance possible from the government in France? Yeah, the rules have been about the same ones. With um, I know that in England, there's uh, the possibility to follow mm-hmm. the employees and get, I think, 80% of the salaries back. We have about the same rules, and of course, we used it. And after, there's some other opportunities also proposed by the government, which I think on the economic side has been quite good because they know that they need to help the companies and so some help to, to subscribe some loans. So, so once again to come back to the cash flow which is very even more important in in those crisis period so yeah no the government's been all right on this side and once again we're trying to be really aware of all the helps we can get
Mm. Now, there are a lot of uncertainties around the Super League and Championship competitions this year, and being an international team in a UK competition, it's even more complicated for Toulouse Olympic. What conversations have you had with the RFL about what might happen later in the year? Well, there's some regular meetings with, with the RFL and also clubs. The RFL are, are working on two main fields. I would say the, the first one is, is, of course, as you, you said previously, the finance. They're trying to help as much as they can the club, especially the English clubs, of course, because they're in link with the British government. Mm-hmm. So I think they've done a really good job with this because they're, they're really doing their best to give the most information possible. And the second one, of course, they're working on the different options in terms of a new feature list and resume the season. So for now, there's two main options. One with a restart of the comp beginning of June and one beginning of July, mm-hmm. which would mean the, the end of season would finish a bit later, end of October, November. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, they've been working on those options. Of course, right now, no decision can be made as we don't know when the lockdown will finish. Mm. But hopefully one of those two options will kick in. Now, can we talk about some of the other potential scenarios that might come up? So, what would happen if travel restrictions remain in place and it's hard to get over the borders? Would it be feasible for Toulouse Olympic to make their way to the UK and set up a base there for the rest of the season like the New Zealand Warriors have to do in Australia? Uh, I think that would be really, really tough. I've read that New Zealand Warriors did this. I mean, on the principle, this can be achieved, of course, because uh, we can see that Toronto Wolf Park also are, are working a little bit like this with a, a first part of season in England. However, I don't see our club being able to do this, especially with the mental side of the player. Mm-hmm. We're really a family club, as you know, you came to visit us and the family values are at the centre of, of our club. And to have the players apart from their families, I don't think it would work. Mm. So I really hope that we can find another solution. Mm. After once this has been said, of course, if we don't have choice, we'll have to find some solution. Yeah. But for now, I'm, I'm being maybe a bit optimistic, but uh, I'm not looking at this option. Well, it's good to be optimistic. So if the competition is able to get back underway and the travel between France and the UK is somehow possible, but as I said before, there has been talk about promotion and relegation being scrapped for this year. Would you have conversations about that? I've been in talks with different uh, people around RFL and Super League and I don't think this is something which is uh, really considered right now. Promotion, I mean, to scrap promotion, I mean, because I think they, they know that if the competition resumes, the championship is, is a tough cup with some strong teams which we aim for Super League. And you cannot just tell them, oh, you, you've invested money, you've invested a lot of time, a lot of hard work, and just this year you, you won't be able to get promoted. I think the talks are more with the relegation from Super League be scrapped, and so maybe increase from 12 to 13 teams, or maybe 14 teams. I don't know, because to have an odd number in the comp is mm. maybe not the best, but more than to scrap the promotion. Mm. At least from what I heard, for now I think the, the discussion is more about scrapping relegations and then scrapping promotion. Okay, so in that situation, you'd be definitely pushing for an expanded Super League to, to 14 teams. Well, we just want to be in Super League. Yeah. <laughs> so we are ready to win it on the field. We know it's going to be tough. It's going to be a long way, especially with this coming. Mm. But we just want to earn promotion on the field. If it gets to 14, great. If it stayed to 12, but promotion is still on, we just want promotion to be to be still on. Fair enough. And are you concerned at all that this crisis might make the UK game and UK clubs a bit more insular and that they might turn away from expansion and you guys might be left in the lurch somehow? 
I don't think so because I think expansion now is really part of, of the English competitions. Ottawa is supposed to come in next season. New York maybe the following one. There's also Valencia in Spain which are knocking at the door. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you can go back from there. And plus, I would say in those times, those difficult times, I think it would be the wrong solution to just uh, come back just on yourself and, and on Northern England. I think... It, A backward step. Time. Yeah, exactly. So um, I don't think so. And I didn't feel it like this in our, in our different talks or meetings uh, that happened the last few weeks. That's good to know. Now, just going back to the start of the season when Toulouse Olympique were, were playing in the new stadium... How did that change the vibe around the club in the city? Because previously you were playing in Blagnac, just out out of Toulouse, but now this stadium seems to be more centred in Toulouse. Did you notice the difference? Yeah, of course, of course, in many, many ways. First of all, which can seem obvious, but it's important, way back in Toulouse. Blagnac is just just on the outskirts of Toulouse, but it's not Toulouse, and we, we call it Toulouse Olympics, so it's, it's a little thing, but it's important. Mm. Second thing, we are partner with a huge club, Stade Toulouse, and it's um, at 35 million euro turnover. Mm. I mean, it has a bigger budget than some of soccer clubs in, in France. Mm. I mean, it's massive, it's massive, in Toulouse and what I like is that really we are entering a real partnership on different levels in terms of communication we did some special prices for ticket prices for, for the season ticket holders there was some advertising for our games during their home games and on the sports side also three weeks ago before the lockdown they asked for another training session in common with mm-hmm. their parks mm-hmm. and it went really good because the first one last year was a bit like to discover and everybody was uh, wasn't sure what's going to happen but as the first one went well the second one was really good because there was a good exchange and both coaches both set of coaches really found some interesting things to learn from each other mm-hmm. so all this partnership because it's a real partnership is, is really interesting for our club and I think it would make us grow another asset of the stadium is, is uh, the field we played beginning of February on uh, in fantastic condition I mean you know brand of rugby we, we like mm. which is expansive rugby and beginning of February last year in Lagnac the ground was bad and so we couldn't play those, those games so this type of, of footy so that's been an, another asset and, and the players love it Oh, fantastic. They, they love it. And the, the fans have come out? Yeah, yeah exactly. And the last thing I want to say is the fans and, and the sponsors, which which are coming more and more. Unfortunately, it stopped after three games, mm. three home games. But I think we can really uh, have some... Uh, we felt it already, but we can do a lot more. And hopefully, if the season resumes, we can improve throughout the season. And, and I think we can really do some fantastic things because it's, it's a great facility. It offers everything you need to, to develop your club. Mm. Now, before I let you go, Cedric, if and when the season gets back underway, who do you think Toulouse's main opposition will be for the title and for promotion to Super League? Well, after five games, we can for sure pin out um, Lee Centurions and Fraserston Rovers, who are undefeated like us. They, they played one less game, but they're undefeated like us, so for sure they'll be in the mix. After that, London Broncos are a full-time team and, and they've got a good coach, so I'm sure they'll be there too. And after, there can be some teams like uh, maybe Halifax, we can push. York had a poor start, but... 
I think when it click can they can come back. So uh, I would say that there are three teams which are at the top right now, mm-hmm. and two or three more that can can be contenders for for promotion. Great. Well, fingers crossed. We can see how that all unfolds over the coming weeks and months. Hopefully, come June and July, we're back up and running, and Toulouse Olympique remains up near the top of the table. Okay. Well, there's obviously a lot of conversations to be had over the next couple of weeks and months. We wish you all the best and hope to see Toulouse Olympique back on the paddock and fighting for a place in Super League very soon. Cedric, thank you for joining the Progressive Rugby League podcast. Thanks very much, Jono, and uh, say hi to, to Big Al. <laughs> Will do. Thanks so much, Cedric. <laughs> Bye, Jono. Bye-bye. Progressive Rugby League. A 14-team Super League competition in 2021 is making a lot of sense to me right now. Meanwhile, while there's still a lot of uncertainty in the UK as they reach the peak of the pandemic crisis, it looks like the NRL is coming back in late May. Wow! The power of positive thinking, a calculated risk, desperation stakes, a logical decision, maybe a bit of all of the above. I tell you what though, this has become possible because Australia has been pretty successful at flattening the curve. And if you want an incentive to keep the momentum going and to stay indoors over the next weeks and months, maybe this is it. If you want to see NRL on your TV, if you want it back in your life, at the very least as an escape from the NRL news filler cycle, stay home. Because if you don't, and if the curve sees uplift, well, no rugby league for you. There you go. Maybe that's a role rugby league can play in encouraging people to keep self-isolating. It'll work on people like me. Meanwhile, Channel 9 are making noises about their rugby league contract with the NRL. They're not happy. Some pretty strange comments, to be honest. Sounds like a bit of calculated huffing and puffing to me. After all, it's not just sporting competitions that are feeling the heat. When the economy is reeling, when companies are shutting down, they're not advertising. So TV networks, with their extensive fixed costs, start to struggle too. And this, of course, is on top of the long-term structural changes in the media landscape, where audiences and revenues are continuing to fragment. Now, I'm not an expert, but here's my understanding of the network's perspective. Rights to big-time sports like rugby league in Australia cost a lot of money to acquire, and the revenues they get back from advertising in the games and sponsorships don't really come close to covering those costs. Now, the traditional and I would say still largely accepted wisdom is that these sports are what they call loss leaders. So on face value, they lose money, but they have a halo effect and end up effectively generating more money for the network than they're costing. So an example is a Sunday afternoon game of rugby league. It rates well and that flows into the news and the rest of the Sunday night schedule, giving the network a boost in audience and revenue for that night off the back of the footy. Another example is that often for sponsors to get involved in sports sponsorships on TV, they have to commit to a broader spend across the network. So that's why TV networks have traditionally battled long and hard and forked out big money for big time sports. Now, of course, as sports rights have reached immense heights over the past 15 years, you would think that there would have to be a limit to what free-to-wear networks can realistically spend and still get a return on their investment through the halo effect I spoke about. And with the trend of the fragmenting audiences, with the advent of streaming, etc., there's an alternative school of thought emerging that sports are overvalued and therefore just a huge money drain. And I suppose if you're running a TV station and it's a tight ad market and you're looking at your balance sheet and your costs, the big sports are sitting there flashing red. And I suppose it's easy to ignore that halo effect and the benefits they can bring to networks. And you have to remember the current Channel 9 management from what I've read 
have over the last few years spoken about, lamented really, the immense costs of sports broadcasting. And so it was no real surprise when the cricket shifted networks a couple of years ago. Maybe this latest intervention is just a part of their broader plan to reduce their spend on big time sport. After all, I'm guessing it's a lot cheaper to slap together a reality TV show. No talent costs, of course. And if they hit the spot, they bring in audiences and the demographics that the networks covet. Like I said, I'm not an expert. I don't work in the business. That's just my understanding from what I've read over the years. But of course, we can only wait and see what unfolds with this one. As I said earlier, great feedback on our interview last episode with Rodolf Pires, including a couple of suggestions from Ben Costello from Canberra and Andrew Thirteen from Sydney that Rodolf should be featured on Andrew Voss's Fox Sports show, The Fan. I think it's a great idea. I, I don't have Fox Sports myself, so I haven't seen much of the show, but I hear it's great. And Big Al absolutely swears by it. But you know what? It made me think. In rugby league, there are very few things pretty much everyone agrees with. But when it comes to TV commentators, there are a few good ones. But I've honestly never heard anyone over the past few years suggest anyone other than Vossi as the best TV commentator in Australia. Which brings me to my foray into commentary. Well, let's call it my attempted foray. A few years ago, a good 15 years ago now, I thought to myself, this commentary thing could be for me. I'll give a bit of radio commentary a go. So I set up an audition with a local station. I mean, I love my footy. I can name all the grand finalists from 1980 with a bit of a blurry patch in the early 2000s. How hard could it be? Turns out pretty hard. Webke takes it up to the halfway line. God, it's a boring game so far. Can you pass me my bottle of water? Oh, sorry. Lockyer, Devere, Scott Mint- Minto, oh sorry, that's, that's Sean Berrigan, back to Lockyer, he's, oh, 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 he passes it, oh, get it, yes, go, 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 pass it, pass it, oh, 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 yay, oh, oh, man, that was cool, oh, sorry, that's a, that's a try to Brisbane, yeah, yeah, 4-0, 4-0 to Brisbane, the Broncos, Oh, sorry, 8-0, eight, 8-0 eight nil, eight nil now. That's 4-0 that's in the last few seconds. D- no, don't, don't mark me down. That's, that's, an, in, that's an insight. Um, and now the replay for, for Scott and Harry's Barbershop. You bring the hair, we bring, we bring the chop. So unsurprisingly, I didn't go into commentary harder than it sounds, harder than it looks. Okay, ladies and gents, that's all we have time for. Thanks again for your time. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back sooner rather than later with another episode of the Progressive Rugby League Podcast. Until then, I'm John Duncan, Rugby League Hobby, and see ya. And as Big Al would say, in Rugby League we trust. Okay.